Hey, good morning. It's great to be uh, preaching this, uh, this morning, I guess, this weekend at the table. The first time um, I get to do this since I've joined you guys officially here. And uh, we're continuing this vision series that Brad started last week. And Brad asked me to talk about the topic of obedience, which on the surface is probably not a word any of us is super excited to hear about. But as we talk about uh, becoming the embodied hospitality of Jesus, obedience is really about becoming spiritually mature people. So I'm going to read for us Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let's listen to God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is God's word. Well, many years ago, Ashley and I bought our first house, and it was an old house. It had been foreclosed upon. Uh, we later learned that it was being rented to college students, and when the bank foreclosed on it, the college students broke in through a window and were squatting in the house. I had a friend who lived in the neighborhood, and he told us that his wife would be running uh, through the neighborhood, um, and college students would throw beer bottles at her. And uh, I, I picked broken glass and bottle caps out of the yard for months. So we got a good deal <laughs> on that house. And the day that we closed escrow on that house, we, we went to work on it. And uh, we redid the yard. We refinished the hardwood floors. We tore down a wall. We eventually painted, I think, just about every single surface in that house, and almost immediately, neighbors would see us working on the house, and they would stop by, and they would say, are you, are you fixing it up to sell it? And we said, no, we're, we're, we're living here. We're, we have a family. We're, we're moving in. And almost without exception, they said, thank you, because a house that had been an eyesore was receiving a new life. Here's the thing. When we bought that house, ugly as it was, it was ours. When we signed the papers and we wired a ridiculous sum of money, legally we owned a puke pink colored, recently foreclosed upon, ugly duckling of a house. But we didn't buy that house because of what it was. We bought it because of what we could see in our minds, what we knew it had the potential to become. When you become a Christian, you belong to God. In a legal sense, God has adopted you, and you belong to him. You are as much his child as you will ever be. But there is a sense in which nothing about you has changed in that you know, moment or experience of becoming a Christian. Your desires are the same. Your character is the same. Your behavior and your preferences are exactly the same. Your status in Christ has changed but nothing has really changed about the way that you are. But God is not going to leave you there. He's going to renovate us. He's going to strip away from us those parts of us that are ugly, and he's going to make you beautiful. He's going to transform you into the person 
that you were created to be. And so what that means, I think, is that the Christian life is about learning to live with imagination. Just like Ashley and I bought that house because we could imagine what it could become. So here in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to use our imaginations. He's encouraging us to live right now in light of what God says we will one day become in Christ, and doing that requires imagination. He invites us, I think twice in this passage, to use our imagination. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Verse 2, set your mind on things that are above. Use your imagination. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Imagination is critical to our humanity. Now, when we hear the word imagination, we have a tendency to think of things that aren't real, fairy tales, uh, fiction. We might think that imagination believes, means believing something that's not true, but nothing could be further from the truth. I'll give you an example. Right now, I want you to imagine the color of the house that you grew up in. Okay, you got it? So what are you doing in that moment? You are picturing in your mind something that is true that you are not presently experiencing. We use our imaginations to envision what is real but not currently visible or experienced. And one way to think about the experience of living the Christian life is to say that living as a Christian means learning to live Uh, Living as a Christian means that our imaginations have been captured and reshaped by God himself. Living as a Christian means fixing your heart on something that is real but presently unseen. So this morning, this weekend, as you're listening to this, I want to invite you to begin to use your imagination with the Apostle Paul. And I want you to imagine what God says is true about who you are in Christ that we might become in the present more fully the people that God is transforming us into. So look at this passage with me, and, and I think in this passage there, there are two truths and one implication. Two truths and one implication. So truth number one is shocking. Truth number one is this, you are dead. Paul writes to this church in a city called Colossae, a church that is made up of people who are very much alive, and he says this in verse 3, for you have died. You have died. What could that possibly mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that they are or that we are physically dead. If you look at that whole verse, he says you have died, and your life, see your life, he's acknowledging we're still alive. He says you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Galatians 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, he says something very similar. He says there, I have been crucified with Christ. And then he elaborates, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now listen to this. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. What Paul is saying here is that if you are a Christian, Do you notice he states his assumption right at the beginning? If you are in Christ, though you are physically alive, in Christ you are dead to your flesh. 
to your flesh you have died. Now by flesh, of course, he's not referring to our skin or our physical bodies or uh, something like that. By flesh, he is talking about what is opposed to the Spirit. By flesh, he's, he's talking specifically about what is opposed to the purposes of the Holy Spirit. The flesh, I mean, just consider a couple of examples. Uh, the, the flesh is my striving to live up to God's commandments, and it is my rebellion against those commandments. The flesh is the good work that we do in our jobs, and it is the self-absorption with which we ignore those in need around us and around the world. The flesh is as noble as working for justice and opposing oppression, and the flesh is as debased as human trafficking, abuse, assault. The flesh is that sneaking suspicion that you are amazing, that you have so much potential and you just haven't yet been discovered. And the flesh is that sneaking suspicion that you are worthless, that you have no potential, and that you just haven't been discovered yet. In short, the flesh is anything that I do in my own effort without reliance on the Holy Spirit, in an effort to bring glory or comfort or reputation or success to myself. And the first truth of this passage is this, if you are in Christ, then you have died to your flesh. That is, your flesh does not define you. You are not a slave to your flesh. And it is no longer inevitable that you will live according to the desires of your flesh. So let me ask you, does that sound like good news? I think if we're honest, most of us would say, uh, sort of. <laughs> the, the frustrating parts of me, being dead to those, are great. The, the, the parts of my flesh that I can't seem to uh, beat on my own, being dead to that is good news. But my desires and my dreams, what about those? The truth is this, that God created human beings in his image as his agents in the world to do good in this world. And yet, in light of the fall, even our best efforts are tainted. Even our best intentions are pursued with self-interest and that without reliance on the Holy Spirit. And Paul is telling us that in all of this, or Paul is telling us that all of this, and that the power of the flesh has died with Christ. And that is good news. And yet I think if this is the only thing we hear, it's not going to sound like great news to us. And that's why this first truth has to be paired uh, with the second truth. So truth number two in this passage is this. You are alive in Christ. You are alive in Christ. Paul tells us not only have we died to the flesh, but we have also come alive in Christ. Verse one, you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3, the whole thing, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul is here telling us one of the most profound mysteries of the Christian life. That all that Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his ascension, he did not just uh, for his sake, but he did it all 
for you. He did all this for you as your representative so that all who are connected to him through faith are not simply attached to him but are actually in him. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And the rea- that reality is, is the most profound mystery of the Christian life. Paul has this simple phrase that he uses over and over again in the New Testament to describe this reality. He simply says that we are in him or in Christ. And what does that mean exactly? Uh, there's a story I like to tell that helps me understand what it means to be in Christ. Uh, many years ago, several years ago, my family and I were on a vacation in, uh, we lived in California at the time, but we were actually in southwest Colorado on vacation. And we were exploring the mountains and having a a great time being there. And as we're exploring, at one point, I, in the driving the family minivan, turned up this dirt steep mountain road. (laughs) And we're driving up this mountain road. And one of my kids, who is especially sensitive and frankly terrified of heights is sitting on the you know against the window and looking out the window and down over the edge of this small dirt road uh, to the valley hundreds of feet below and he is just utterly freaking out and uh, he is not happy about being there and we get to the top and we turn around and we start coming back down the road and all of a sudden he has calmed down and we're all surprised and Before I can even ask him what's happened, as we're turning the car around, he says, oh good, I'm not on the death side anymore. (laughs) I'm not on the death side anymore. You know, he's now on the side of the car that's not next to the cliff, so he's not on the death side anymore. And it was all I could do in that moment to not point out the lack of logic in uh, his, his statement, or rather the logic of the situation that we were in, because when we are in this car... Whatever happens to the car is going to happen to everybody in the car. And so it doesn't really matter if you're on the death side or the life side. As long as you are in the car, whatever happens to the car happens to everyone else whose life is bound up in that car. If you are are in Christ, everything that happens to Christ happens to you. The perfection of Christ Jesus in his life has been credited to you. The death of Jesus on the cross has put to death the power of sin in your life. Because Christ has been raised, you, though you haven't yet even physically died, can already be described as having been raised from death. And because Christ has ascended into heaven, you are already seated there with him. And that's great news. You have died. And the life that you're now living, the life that I am now living, is hidden with Christ in God. And living the Christian life and learning to live with Christian imagination where we live in the present based on what is real but not presently seen or experienced is about discovering our hidden life with Christ in God. These are the two truths. You have died to your flesh, but you are alive in Christ. And these truths lead to one radical implication. And that is this. Obedience to Christ is the key 
to true freedom. Obedience to Christ is the key to true freedom. I know that sounds foreign. I know that that's completely the opposite of what our culture tells us. Western culture says that the key to happiness in life is discovering yourself and broadcasting that to the world. The only problem with that is that by any metric we use, and I don't mean we uh, Christians or the church, um, any metric our culture uses is indicating that we are as lonely, as anxious, and unhappy as we have ever been. But the truth of this passage leads us into the paradox of Christian freedom and contentment, which is this, happiness can never be pursued directly. Happiness is always a byproduct. True, lasting freedom and contentment are not ultimately found in looking inward, but rather in attaching your identity to the one who has already conquered death. Listen again to verse 4. Paul says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The truths of this passage rescue us from a life of false choices. Uh, you know, life is filled with false choices. Uh, you know, the, the choice between the head and the heart. Um, but, but think about this. Th- this passage rescues us from the false choice of happiness or holiness. This passage rescues us from the false choice of obedience or freedom. Because do you know what is really hard to do? It is really hard to hold on to the desire to define what the good life looks like for ourselves and follow Jesus at the same time. It is really, hold, it is really hard to hold on to the flesh while trying to maintain life with God in Christ. It's going to feel so often like we are being torn apart, if we, are, if we are saying myself, my, who, who I truly am is found in the desires of the flesh, and yet I also want to remain connected or enjoy the benefits of Christ, it's going to often feel like we're being torn apart. And that is why I'm convinced that one of the biggest problems facing Christians today is a failure of imagination. A failure of imagination looks like reading the Bible and coming to the conclusion that striving to obey the words of Jesus would result in a boring waste of a life. Developing a Christian imagination, beginning to live in light of what's really present though currently unseen, means learning to believe that Jesus is the one who defines what the good life really looks like. And if we believe that, then we have to believe him when he says something that we don't like, or we have to at least sort of have the a priori commitment that when he says something that I don't like, that he is still good, even if I haven't quite gotten there yet. There is no sense in the Bible, in the words of Paul, uh, or the rest of the authors of the Bible, that following Jesus is going to result in a life of boredom, a life that is a waste. Listen again to what he says in verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear 
with him in glory. In glory. Listen to the way that Augustine said it. He says this, For when God will be all in all, then nothing will be lacking to our desire. When our desire has been, desires themselves have been transformed and reshaped in light of who we are hidden with Christ in God, then all of our desires, then all of our desires will be fulfilled. Learning to develop our Christian imagination is crucial to becoming the sort of people that God is calling us to become. And so uh, let me just kind of wrap up with this. It's occurred to me recently that so many of the imaginative stories that we uh, enjoy, and even the, the, those stories that we learn as children, are really stories about a search for identity. You know, you see this in, uh, in so many stories, you see this in the story of um, Pinocchio, but you, you see this especially in one of my favorite stories, the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. And it's a story that cuts against the grain of American culture because it tells us that we are not what we feel or that we are, that, that we are not what we make of ourselves. This story is a story that tells us that we cannot be self-determined. We can only stand, understand who we are in light of communion with, with one who is far greater than we are. And so in the story, if you remember, uh, what's happening is the, there are these stuffed animals that, are, uh, that have been loved by a child and then been discarded as that child grows up. And towards the end of the story, the skin horse and the velveteen rabbit are talking about who they are and what it means to be real, to be truly themselves. And the skin horse is telling the velveteen rabbit that being real isn't something that you achieve. Rather, it's something that happens to you when you are loved by someone else. And the velveteen rabbit says, does it hurt? And the skin horse says, sometimes, but when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. And the velveteen rabbit says, does it happen all at once? And listen to what the skin horse says in in response. The skin horse says, it doesn't happen all at once. You become... It takes a long time, and that's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or who have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby, but these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand." Friends, the flesh that we wrestle with has died, yet we are alive in Christ. Our lives are bound up with His, and as we let that reality shape our present experience, we are becoming more real, and we are becoming more fully the people that He has called us to be, and that's good news. Amen.